Welcome to episode four of the Mindful Hunter podcast. I'm your host, Jay Nickel. Today, we are going to be getting into the second part of our two-part series on how to build points and hunt in the United States for Canadians. A lot of what I'm going to talk about is going to be relevant for U.S. residents as well, but I am putting a slight spin on it for Canadians because I am Canadian and there is a particular set of challenges that Canadians face when we want to hunt south of the border. And so I wanted to try and help Canadians specifically. But if you're not from Canada, I think this podcast is still worth listening to. Also, from now on, I'm going to put timestamps on the YouTube video, but I'm also going to include them in the notes on the podcast details itself. So if there's ever portions of this podcast that you're not into or you want to skip ahead to other stuff, just look at the notes in the details section and there should be timestamps there telling you when the different sections are if you just want to skip through and listen to certain parts and not others. We're also going to take a slight departure from the regular podcast stretcher. I'm not going to get into the training and diet sections today for two reasons. Number one, the, the, the topic that we're going to get into today is so meaty that I'm worried it's already going to take too much time. So, um, I want to leave us as much time to get into that as possible. Also, because there's been a significant shift in how this podcast gets published and because I'd had a couple episodes pre-recorded, this is really the first opportunity I've had to discuss with the audience why that shift occurred. So let's get into that first. When I originally started this podcast, it was because I was asked by the crew of guys who runs the Beyond the Kill podcast if I wanted to do a show on their stream. So essentially, it would be my own show. I would talk about whatever I wanted that was relevant, clearly. And they would publish it within their channel or within their podcast stream, if you will. They were hoping to become more of a podcast network as opposed to just a single show. Um, I thought that was great. I could take advantage of an audience they'd already built. They thought it was great. I have a unique voice. They could expose their listeners to something new. It didn't work out. Um, for whatever reason, they got some bad reviews. So it's an ego-sizing correction check for me this week. Apparently, not everybody on the planet likes me or, or what I have to say, and I'm totally fine with that. In fact, I kind of prefer it that way. And let's, let's get into that a little bit. But first, I'd like to say I was kind of surprised because I had received nothing but positive feedback. I had people get in touch that had never got in touch with me before. I had some new subscribers on YouTube. I had some new followers on, on Instagram. Um, and I got really good feedback that people liked the episode. So this is really important. It's totally okay that some people like this and some people don't. I don't expect everyone to like this. So let me explain why I decided to do the podcast in the first place. I like making things. I like creating things. I like, that's why I shoot videos of my hunts. Um, that's why I put tutorials up on my YouTube channel. Um, I like sharing things and I like making things. And I also think I have a unique perspective on things and I'm a pretty good communicator. Now that's not going to land for everybody, but here's the deal. I decided that I was going to do this podcast for one year. I was going to do an episode a week for a full year. At the end of that year, I'm going to reevaluate the situation. And if the podcast is bringing more things into my life or providing more value than energy it is taking from me, I will continue to do the podcast. But the rule I made for myself is I was going to do the shit I wanted to do. And I was going to talk about the shit that I'm interested in. And I'm going to continue to do that. So here's the deal I'm going to make with you, the listener. If the subjects that I discuss and the topics that I get into interest you, 
I will go to the wall to help you as much as I can. Get in touch with me, ask for more clarification, ask for different topics that are related to some of the previous topics, whatever you need, because I like this stuff and I find it interesting and engaging. And if you don't like it, then just don't fucking listen. Um, that's the beautiful thing about today's content market is that there's so much content out there by so many different people. Find the individuals whose voices resonate with you that are discussing things that you're interested in and support them and consume their content and engage with them. And for those that you don't resonate with, just don't engage with them. So I recognize I probably have a somewhat polarizing personality. I'm an opinionated son of a bitch, and I will probably stay that way until the day that I die. But that's all right. That's the beautiful thing about this. I can record this. I can put it out. If people like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. That's cool too. Anyways, all of that is just a really long-winded way of saying, I'm going to cover the stuff I'm interested in, and I'm going to do it the way that I want, but you can still participate, and you can still have a hand in how this thing plays out. You know, the other thing that I should touch on a little bit is that I'm going to talk about myself quite a bit. In that, I like to experiment. I like to push the boundaries with things, with my training, with my diet, with supplements, compounds, drugs, all kinds of things. And I'm going to share the results of all that testing and experimentation, not because I want to talk about myself to you, because I think it might be of interest to you to understand those results and infer them for your own purposes so that you can take your own performance one step further. And again, if that stuff isn't of interest, then you just don't need to consume it. All right, now that we got all that shit out of the way, let's dive into the actual episode. So I am still going to do the weekly piece of gear because literally 30 minutes ago, something showed up at the door that I'm super excited about and I've been waiting for quite some time. As always, if you're listening to this and you're interested in seeing it, just hop onto YouTube because I am about to show what I'm going to discuss. So I'm going on this goat hunt in February. I, I used to have a bipod a really long time ago on my 30-06, and it was a Harris bipod, and I think it was a 9 to 15 inch. Harris bipods are great. The manufacturing quality is super high. The price is reasonable for what you, the, you know, the quality of the craftsmanship that you're getting. Um, but they are heavy, and they are clunky. And I sold that bipod a long time ago, and I've never run a bipod on any of my other rifles because I don't do that much rifle hunting. And when I do, it's pretty deep in the backcountry, and I'm trying to carry as little weight as possible. And to be honest, I don't normally shoot things very far away, um, just with the style of rifle hunting that I do tend to do. However, with this goat hunt, I did want to get a bipod for my 300 Win Mag, the Tika T3X that I'll be taking with me. I'll do another episode where I break down that whole rifle and I've had some aftermarket stuff done to it. Um, and I was torn between the Atlas bipod systems and the Spartan bipod systems. Spartans are a little bit lighter, well, considerably lighter, but the Atlas arguably are more functional. They're definitely a beefier bipod system than the Spartan. I decided to go with the Spartan, even though most of the people I know recommended the Atlas. Um, most of those guys don't do a whole lot of like ultra lightweight or really deep backcountry stuff. So I kind of took my own spin on it. So what I actually bought was the Javelin Pro Hunt and I bought it in the long. So this is, I don't have any of the specs right in front of me. It's incredibly light. Like we're talking mere ounces. Um, the craftsmanship is superb. I'm super impressed. 
So it looks like, and again, I could look all this stuff up, but it looks like the main mechanism components are some type of aircraft grade aluminum. And then the shafts of the legs themselves are carbon fiber, obviously. And they extend um, somewhere in the neighborhood of from like seven to 12 inches. And the it has a locking cant system on it. So you can leave it open and you could do like a target tracking mode where you can actually like cant your rifle as you as you pivot or you can lock it uh, in one place if you wanted more of a stable rest. So yeah, that is the Spartan Javelin Pro Hunt uh, bipod. I'm super excited about it and I'm looking forward to kind of installing it on the rifle. The one piece of information that I will share that I had to contact Spartan to verify is that it comes with everything that you need. So essentially there's a receiver that goes on your rifle. I should have spoke about this earlier. What makes this particular bipod system special is that it's magnetically attached. So it stays off of your rifle the majority of the time. That was another reason I opted for this. When I had the Harris bipod on my 30-06, that thing would get hung up on all kinds of shit as you were walking through the timber and I hated it. Um, I like that I can take this off, I can carry it in one of my side pockets on my pack, and I can attach it as necessary. On a goat hunt, it's not like I'm going to be in a run and gun situation. I'm going to have plenty of time to acquire the target, set up, pull out the bipod. Like I don't want to dawdle, but in the same breath, it's not going to be a rushed situation either. So a system like this is really ideal for my application. So there, where your front sling mount goes on your rifle, that essentially screws into your rifle. So you back that out and using that same threaded hole, there's a, there's a receiver piece that mounts directly to your rifle. So basically this is the receiver that gets mounted to your rifle. There is a magnet inside here. And then this post goes into here. And then obviously the magnet keeps it attached and you have to forcefully pull it out in order to remove it from your rifle. I've heard a lot of good things about this. I hit up a guy who had one and asked his recommendation because there's kind of three main variants. And this one's kind of right in the middle from this, you know, super ultra lightweight and then the more kind of beefy, fully featured one. And he recommended this one in the middle of the road. So that was the one I decided to go with. So once I get a chance to actually um, get my gun out and go to the range um, and prepare for the goat hunt, I will I will install this and I'll circle back with you guys and let you know what my thoughts are once I have a chance to actually put some miles on it. There's just one small note I want to make here before I move on, and that's the myth of the perfect piece of gear. I watch all these Q&As on Instagram and watch everybody's YouTube videos and everybody's asking like, what tent should I buy? Which pair of boots should I buy? Which jacket is the best? And these are binary questions. You're expecting a one or a zero, a yes or a no. This is the only pair of boots you need. This is the best tent. Here's the deal. The longer you do this, the more of everything you're going to need. I have multiple pairs of boots. I have multiple shelters. I have multiple systems of camo. And not because I prefer different camo patterns, but because there's different uh, temperatures and precipitation rates and elevations that you're going you're gonna to be at. And so when you do this long enough, you realize that you're not going to have one of anything. You're going to end up with multiples of everything. And 
rarely are you going to buy the perfect piece of gear right out of the gate. You're going to have to buy something, test it, play with it, realize what you like, realize what you don't, and then go get something that fits a little bit more perfectly for your application. All I'm trying to say is don't get paralyzed with analysis when it comes to deciding on which pair of boots to buy or which tent to get. Try and think of about a relatively good choice for the next application in mind. Like what's your next hunt? Given those conditions, what would be a reasonable choice? Buy that one and recognize that you're probably going to buy more in the future if this is something that you get into and that you really enjoy. Here's the other thing that I highly recommend. Buy super high quality shit. I have done really well on the used market with almost everything from hunting equipment to camera equipment to computer equipment to phones. As long as you buy high-end premium shit, it retains its value. I guarantee I could get 80% of what I paid for this bipod after using it for six months to a year because it will retain its value. Plus, you have to get it shipped over from the UK. So the fact that I could throw it up on a used board and somebody could have it next week and not pay for shipping alone brings some inherent value. So that's the other thing that can kind of ease up or lower the friction of the decision-making process is by not, don't make it so stressful. You don't need to find the perfect piece of gear. You just need to find a good enough piece of gear for the next application. All right, let's get into the meat and the potatoes of the episode. Part two, how to build points and hunt in the U.S. for Canadian citizens. So as promised, what we're going to do is a deep dive into each state. I'm going to share the, some certain details about the regulations and nuances of each individual state. And then I'm going to provide particular strategy recommendations for that state. And then at the end of all that, I'm going to give kind of three different overall strategies from basic and cheap to super complicated and expensive. So kind of no matter where you are in your journey, there should be a takeaway here for you at the end that will provide you with some type of game plan moving forward. So first of all, all of the information that I'm going to get into today is related to non-residents. Recognize that there's a different set of rules and regulations for residents and non-residents in every single state. It didn't make sense to explore the resident regulation and information on this podcast as it would only pertain to, you know, select individuals as I got to each state. Plus it would double the complexity of the podcast and how much time it would take me to get through it. So just recognize that I'm only going to be discussing uh, regulations and details as they relate to non-residents for each of these states. One other thing to keep in mind is that there are guided and landowner tag options to accomplish somewhat the same results. Like if you wanted to go in an elk hunt in Wyoming, you don't need to screw around trying to get points. You can just go buy a guided elk hunt in Wyoming. You could go buy a landowner tag in Colorado. That would supersede the point system and you wouldn't need to worry about any of it. Sometimes it might even be somewhat cheaper if you look at how long it actually takes to build up enough points to get some of these tags that we're going to talk about today. However, and this is the oddly masochistic part of it, there is a uniquely satisfying experience when you pull a limited entry tag on public land that you got through a completely fair democratic lottery process. And you go out and you have that hunt. Um, I don't know how else to explain it. Um, it just feels different than going on a guided hunt. I've gone on guided hunts in the U S and I've pulled really cool tags in the U S 
pulling the tags just felt cooler. I, it was a more enjoyable and more rewarding experience. But I want to say, not everybody has the time and the energy. Some of us are later in life and maybe have more money than we have time. Fuck it. Go buy some hunts, man. This is just one way to do this. It's not the only way. One other note I want to make is that I'm going to lay out the nuts and bolts of each state system, but I'm not going to get into unit by unit strategy. Recognize every state has premium units and shit units and everything in between. They are not all created equal. So although I am going to lay out a strategy for point application and tag acquisition, you are still going to need to dive into the intricacies of each individual state to select which units you actually want to go and hunt. Uh, as mentioned on the last podcast, I highly recommend the service Go Hunt. It's a website. It's like a hub for tag and regulation related information. They have a phenomenal kind of draw odds platform that in my experience is the best thing available on the market. That's what I use and that's what I recommend, but you don't have to pay for that. It costs 150 bucks a year. You get 50 bucks back. So it really only costs hundred bucks a year, but you do not have to pay for that. You can state by state, go to the state agencies, just search, you know, wildlife department, Utah, and go to that state agency and they will have draw odds, harvest statistics. All Go Hunt does is kind of the background legwork for you. They go and retrieve all that information state by state and then present it in a much easier to digest format. So that's why I recommend Go Hunt. Also, you need to go to each state and actually buy your tags. So I didn't really get into that um, when I was building my notes for today, but just recognize that if you want to go to Wyoming, you need to actually go to the wildlife department for Wyoming. You need to create an account and that is where you'll get a sportsman's ID number and that is where you will actually buy tags and accrue points and log in and do all the things that you need to do in order to hunt in that particular state. And you need to do that for each state that you're going to hunt in. All right, let's jump into our first state, Wyoming. Now, the reason that I wanted to start with Wyoming is that if you put a gun to my head and said you could only apply to one state for one species, what would it be? It would be elk in Wyoming. I, to be completely honest, I could probably go deer in Wyoming as well, and it wouldn't break my heart. But I feel like Wyoming has the best combination of quality and opportunity for the cost. Montana would be a close second, and we'll get into that one next. Um, but I do believe that if you only want to play one single state, my recommendation is Wyoming. So I'm going to start with that one. Now, as far as a management strategy, Wyoming primarily manages for opportunity. If you'll remember in the last podcast, I mentioned that most states adhere to either managing for quality or opportunity. By quality, I mean trophy class. By opportunity, I mean how many people get a chance to go and hunt. So although Wyoming operates mainly under an opportunity-based management system, because of the structure of the state itself, you still end up getting a quality experience. You might not see 350, 400 bulls every day, but you're going to be in the mix. Um, and there's lower pressure in Wyoming. Wyoming tends to have a larger non-populated areas. They also tend to have larger tracts of 
uh, forest that aren't so heavily trailed. So it's a little bit easier if you're willing to bushwhack to get away from people. Um, I find places like Idaho are really difficult in that regard, unless you go deep, 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 like maybe a raft or a float plane into one of the wildernesses. Now, the one note about Wyoming is that you need a resident to accompany you if you're going to go into the quote unquote wilderness, like with a capital W. So in the States, they have several different designations for like what they refer to as public land. National forest is a really common one and wilderness is another. Now they're treated somewhat differently. In most States, it really doesn't matter. It's public land and you can hunt it. However, in Wyoming, non-residents aren't allowed in the wilderness areas without an accompanying resident, or if you're on a guided hunt, because obviously that qualifies as an accompanying resident. I use the mapping system Onyx to know where those wilderness areas are. They're marked really well on the map. They're also marked really well in the field. Like you'll come up to a big sign, you know, you are entering the, you know, XXX wilderness area. Um, So that's just something to keep in mind with Wyoming. Another interesting component of Wyoming is that essentially they have two draw systems. They have the regular draw system and they have the special draw system. Since I first started applying in Wyoming, the discrepancy between the costs of those two systems has gotten even greater. Um, we'll get into the cost later, but it just, just know that you have a higher likelihood of drawing a tag if you apply to the special pool but it costs significantly more money. So while you might only need three points to draw in the special pool for a given unit or tag, you might need five points in the regular pool. But they're all kind of pulling from the same tags. There's a bit of a complexity there that would be getting into the weeds, but let's say a particular unit had 100 tags. 60 of those would go into the regular pool, 40 of those would go into the special pool. Here's the thing to keep in mind though. The only thing keeping the special pool with higher odds is that fewer people are willing to spend the money on the on, on that particular pool because it's more expensive. However, if more people decide to spend money, your odds go back to being normal, okay? There's nothing inherent. It's not like there's a cap an an, in, an infinite number of people are allowed to apply to the special pool. So you could theoretically actually end up with lower odds. It's merely the cognitive barrier of cost that is creating a more premium draw experience. So I highly recommend don't mess, just don't mess around with the special. You could, if you want, I don't think it's worth the extra money. And I really don't think you actually get that higher of an odds. If you are going to do it though, take your time and look at it unit by unit and really make sure that for the extra money, you are getting a higher likelihood of drawing that tag just to make sure that it's worth blowing the extra cash. So some states you need a license and a tag. Some states you just need a tag. Wyoming is one of the states where you just need a tag. Now, when you buy your tag, it comes along with a couple of other things like a conservation stamp. Also, if you want to hunt in an archery season, you need to buy an additional archery stamp for 10 bucks. Now let's look at the cost breakdown. I'm going to pull up my laptop here because there's no way I was actually going to remember all this information. Okay. So first I'm going to go through the non-resident regular draws. So 
Uh, this is if you draw the tag. That's the other thing. There's an application fee that's non-refundable, which varies from ten to fifty dollars per state. But then there's the tag fee if you actually draw. So this is what you would pay if you pulled a tag. So regular draw for deer, three hundred and eighty-nine dollars. Special draw for deer is six hundred and seventy-seven dollars. Okay, so it's almost double. Three hundred ninety bucks for regular, six hundred eighty bucks for special. Elk is 707 for a regular draw, 1283 for a special draw. You see what I'm saying now? Like it's an extra $600. You could get two regular draws for one special draw. And here's the beauty of the system I'm going to lay out for you guys. I'm going to have you apply to multiple states at a time. So it's not like you got to wait every three or four years. And the only place you can go hunt is Wyoming. I'm going to show you how to build points in Montana and Wyoming at the same time. And every two, three years, you're going to go to Montana. And every two, three years, you're going to go to Wyoming. And then basically almost every year you you have a hunt down there that you can go to, and you could fill that up even further with an over-the-counter tag in Idaho or Colorado. So you could go on an elk hunt every single year of varying um, quality in the States if you wanted to. So that's why I'm recommending staying away from the special. Now, antelope is 340 for the regular 630 for the special and then moose bison rocky mountain sheep and mountain goat only have one draw now get this moose is two grand bison is 4400 these are all in us rocky mountain sheep is 2400 and mountain goat is 2200 now i'm going to get into which species are worth building points in each individual state because you it's just simply not worth it. For example, I only recommend elk and deer in Wyoming. You can do antelope if you want to, but I wouldn't waste my time with any of the rest of them. For most of us listening to this podcast, you live in British Columbia. Our hunting opportunities here are so far superior for things like moose and bison, even sheep and goat. We can go buy an over-the-counter tag for 25 bucks. Actually, it might be 50, whatever. It's not 2,500 and 4,000. So anyways, yeah, long-winded way of saying we're probably only going to worry about deer and elk and potentially antelope in Wyoming. For those of you turned into YouTube, my dog has just magically appeared on the screen because my wife has left. Um, his name is Pickle. My five-year-old daughter named him and he's a golden doodle. I just want to take a moment and explain that because you were probably wondering where he magically appeared from. Hopefully, he's just going to lay down and chill. Okay, back to the important stuff. So, dates. Now, for elk, the application deadline is January 31st, and they don't draw the results until May 21st. Now, there's a reason why we care about both the draw deadlines and the draw dates. Sorry, the application deadlines and the draw dates, other than we just don't want to miss them. If you are applying for multiple states, you have to be concerned with the potential of drawing multiple tags. So whenever possible, you, you, you pay attention to the draw dates because there are certain states where you can wait to see if you've pulled a tag. And if you don't pull a tag, then you can apply to another state. And if you do pull a tag, then you refrain from applying to the other states. And instead, you just buy bonus points moving forward. 
A lot of the stuff I share in the podcast, you're not going to remember. You're going to need to go to the state agencies or you're going to need to go to Go Hunt to look these up again. I'm merely sharing the information to help as like a teaching aid so we understand the principles of what we're trying to do here. Now, there's a second draw for deer. So the draw, the application deadline for deer is June 1st and the draw results are June 18th. So here's an example of exactly what I was just talking about. You can find out whether or not you've been successful for your elk tag before you have to draw for your deer tag. So if you pull an elk tag, just apply for a deer bonus point. If you don't pull an elk tag, apply for the deer tag. Arizona is similar. Their elk is in the winter and their deer gets pulled in the spring. So let's take a moment and look at the draw structure. Now, you are allowed three choices. However, the vast majority of tags are going to get pulled on the first choice. So it, you really spend a lot of time thinking about what that the best unit you want. Also, in Wyoming, you can just draw for a general open season tag. And then there's, you know, um, I don't know the exact number off the top of my head. It's probably 40 or 50 units that fall within like the general open season uh, elk tag. And you can go to any of them. You don't have to apply to a specific unit. So you just put that as your first choice. One thing to keep a note, if you do get drawn for your second or third choice, it will not use up your preference points. So if you wanted to get really strategic, you could put a really hard to draw unit as your first choice, and you could put a general open season unit as your second choice. And then if by some miracle you were able to get through to the second round and pull that general open season tag, you wouldn't lose any of your preference points. Also, 75% of the tags in Wyoming go to max point holders and 25% go into a bonus pool. So let's say it's a premium unit and it takes nine points to draw. And let's say there's 10 tags. Seven of those tags are going to go to max bonus point holders, people with nine or more points. The other three tags are going to go to an, a random lottery pool. And then they're just going to pick names out of a hat. It doesn't matter how many points you have, your name just goes in that hat once. The reason this is important to remember is that in a hybrid system or in a pure lottery system, you always have a chance, albeit potentially small, of drawing a tag. Whereas other states that are purely max points, you there is zero chance of drawing a tag unless you have unless you fall into that max point pool for that given unit. And then again, this is important because you can play this strategy off of other states. Like if you want to apply to build a point, but you don't want to get drawn, it, you can just apply for a really hard to draw a tag in a max point system. And you, it's impossible for you to draw a tag. If you did that in Wyoming, there is still a small chance that you would get pulled. So it's a bad strategy if your goal is to not get drawn and lose your points. That leads me to Kind of the other reason why I think Montana and Wyoming are the best kind of low hanging fruit from a point application standpoint, both states have a point only season. So in Wyoming, it is July 1st through November 2nd, you can buy preference points. So for 50 bucks for elk and 40 bucks for deer, you can buy a preference point for the next 
calendar year. So let's say it's September 1st, you've never hunted in Wyoming before, and you're thinking about next September, one year from now, I'd like to go hunt in Wyoming. You can go on to the fishing game site, you can buy yourself a preference point for 50 bucks, and then when the draw application period opens, you are already entering that season with one bonus point. You apply, if you are unsuccessful, you would get another bonus point. If that happens, you cannot buy a third point in the next bonus point only season. You can only accrue one bonus point per year. You either get it through a failed application or you get it through purchasing it in a bonus point only pool. Now, one thing to keep in mind is if you do not buy a point or apply for a tag for two consecutive years for any individual species, you will lose all your points for that year. Now, let me clarify, just buying a point is enough. So you could literally go on the fishing game website every August, 10 years in a row, spend your 50 bucks. You could build up 10 points for elk. You'd never lose the points. You'd be 500 bucks deep. You'd have never applied for a draw and you'd have never had hunted in Wyoming, but you'd have 10 points. There are some phenomenal elk hunting units that are in that like eight to 10 point range. So you could, you could execute a strategy like that. And then on that 10th year, when you got max points, you could basically just apply for that unit and it would be basically a gimme tag and you would have a phenomenal hunt for 500 bucks plus the tag fee, obviously, which is an additional $700. So it'd be $1,200 total, but you could do that in a state like Wyoming. Not all states are like that. And I'm going to walk through um, examples of other states where that's not the case. So just put that on your radar. You want to be familiar with the guidelines in each state about how often you need to apply, if at all. Let's talk about waiting periods. In most of these states, if you draw a tag and are successful or not for what they call one of their trophy species, this is essentially anything that's not deer, elk, or antelope. There's usually a waiting period from five to seven years. Some states, it's once in a lifetime only. There is a waiting period in Wyoming. So if you did draw choose to draw a bison tag and you kill the bison, I think it's seven years until you can apply again. All we really care about for our purposes is that there is no waiting period for deer, elk, and antelope. So even though it would be highly statistically unlikely that you would draw every year, there's no regulation that says if you did, you couldn't go hunt. Last point about Wyoming, there are no tag returns under any circumstances. So if you pull a tag and you can't go money's burnt. It's gone. Points are gone. Now, maybe if you had like a death certificate of your wife or some crazy shit, maybe you could talk somebody into it. Um, but I've talked to lots of dudes who've had points and tags burnt in Wyoming. So just assume you're going on the hunt. If you pull in Wyoming, it's not like this in every state. Now, what's my general overall strategy recommendation for Wyoming? In my opinion, build points for deer and elk, maybe antelope. I personally wouldn't bother and I would ignore all the rest. At the regular draw, you could reliably hunt Wyoming every three to four years. It used to be every two to three. There's this thing called point creep, which all of the states are trying to figure out how to deal with. The more people apply for points that outnumber the tags that are drawn, it slowly makes the number of points required to draw something creep up. 
because more points are coming into this system than are getting burnt. So while you used to be able to hunt Wyoming every two years on the regular system, now it's more like every three if you're lucky and every four if you're not. Coming into this season, I think I have three, I will have three points in Wyoming. I've hunted elk in Wyoming before um, and I had to burn my points to do that. So I'm basically a shoe in I think it's 70% chance with three points for the regular system this year and like 100% next year with four points. I'll get into my strategy coming into this elk season, but Wyoming um, is a big contender. So quick recap, build points for deer and elk in Wyoming. Fuck everything else. Let's move on to Montana. Now, for a lot of what we've already discussed, it applies equally to Montana as it does to Wyoming. I think both states offer an equal blend of quality and opportunity. I think both states offer reduced pressure when compared with other equal opportunity states. Like if you were going to compare Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, and Colorado, it's only marginally more difficult to get a tag in Montana or Wyoming, but the hunting pressure is vastly reduced. So if we're talking risk reward ratio here, Montana, Wyoming went out hands down in my opinion. So that's why we're going to talk about Montana second, because in my opinion, they're almost like sister states. They manage a lot of the same way. They have a lot of the same rules and regulations. Um, the terrain is a lot similar, is very similar. And um, I think they provide very similar hunting opportunities. I've hunted both states. I loved going to both states. I really don't prefer, maybe I mildly prefer Wyoming just because it feels like a little less populated than Montana, but it wouldn't be by much. I'd, I'd love an opportunity to hunt again in, in either state. Now you do need a license in Montana as well as a tag. However, when you draw your tag, it includes a license. You get a few things tagged on to your tag or tacked on to your tag. You get a base hunting license, a conservation license. You need to pay the application fee. Um, and then you have to pay your preference point fee and your bonus point fee. I'm going to get into why there's two different types of points in Montana in a moment. Now, as far as costs go, your deer tag is going to cost you $612. Your elk tag is going to cost you $880. Now your big game combo, which is what I'm going to recommend you all apply for is 1,046. And that qualifies you to shoot a deer and an elk. Um, I'm not going to get into all the rest. Antelope's 200 bucks. And then all the big trophy species, which we're not going to spend time are, are 1,250 bucks. Black Bear's 350 bucks. Okay, the application deadline is April 1st and the draw date is April 20th. Now, that is really nice for a couple reasons. Primarily, you are able, you only have to lock up your application for 19 days, which means you any other state that releases the results before April 1st, you will be able to look at, let that information affect your decision on whether or not you actually want to apply to Montana or just build bonus points in Montana for that given year. So if you pull something in another state before April 1st, just buy a bonus point. If you don't, apply for a tag. So just like in Wyoming, you get to enter three choices, but for all intents and purposes, nothing matters after choice one. Um, that's not true with all states, but for Montana and Wyoming, it is. I, and the other thing similar about Montana, it has the same general open season concept as Wyoming. That's the other reason I like these states so much. 
80% of the state is open. So you could just get a general tag and go to 80% of the state. The other 20% of the state is chopped up into these premium units that requires more points to draw. So let's talk about the difference between preference points and bonus points and when they actually apply. So as a non-resident, you have to apply for a big game combo license. Now, a big game combo license comes in three variants, deer only, elk only, and deer and elk. The reason it's called a big game combo is it essentially, it comes with your upland game bird hunting license and it comes with your fishing license. So the combo that it's referring to is big game, fishing, and birds. And you're allowed to hunt all three when you pull this. You need preference points to pull your big game combo. And your big game combo allows you to hunt the general units. If you want to apply for the premium units, you need to accrue bonus points in addition to your preference points. You can buy both of these during the point only season, which in Montana runs from July 1st to September 30th. So again, you need to accrue preference points to get your big game combo license. This is non-negotiable. You have to have this to hunt. Then in addition to that, you can also accrue bonus points and apply to premium units. Now, unlike Wyoming, you actually have to apply for a tag. If you don't apply for a tag for more than two consecutive years, you will lose all your points. A way around this is just every third year, apply to an impossibly hard to draw unit that will keep your points active and you won't pull a tag. However, I'm trying to hunt Montana every two to three years. So I basically wait until I have two points, then I apply. Wait till I have two points and apply. And I just, every third year, that's the game plan. You can basically, statistically, you'd have a really good shot of hunting Montana every other year if you wanted, as long as you had one point going into the draw. It's a slam dunk if you have two. So it's a guaranteed hunt every third year. One other quick note, you will see B points. B points are for antlered lists. So you can buy a bonus point for deer or a bonus point for deer B. Do not buy the deer B points. Who the fuck wants to drive all the way to Montana to shoot a doe? Now, if you live there, it makes a lot of sense because you're out hunting anyways. You can get a second animal. My recommendation is it just complicates your strategy and it's not something that is really worth the effort when taken into account with all the opportunities that you could be spending your time working towards. Now, you can apply for a refund in Montana. All you got to do is ship them back your tag and license and they will give you back 80% of your money. You don't get back any of the processing or application fees, but you get back the rest of the money. And if you think a big game combo is a thousand bucks, you can, and that, that's why Montana is another safe state for me. Cause even if I draw it, if I drew some crazy primo New Mexico elk tag, I can actually just return the tag in Montana lose a couple hundred bucks, which is really not that big a deal, keep all my preference points and go on the more primo hunt and then apply again in Montana the following year and pretty much be guaranteed of that general tag. Much like Wyoming, there are waiting periods for the trophy species. I didn't get into them all, but again with Montana, there are several trophy species like moose, uh, sheep, goat that are very expensive and very hard to draw. So that wraps up Montana. Now, my strategy, as far as it goes to Montana, I do buy preference points and I buy bonus points. So my goal is to hunt Montana every two to three years. 
I have accrued enough bonus points that I'm actually going in for a premium unit this year. Um, but I do not recommend building up points in Montana for any of the other trophy species. The hunts aren't, I mean, they're phenomenal hunts, but compared to what you can do at home here in BC, it's just not worth the extra complication, um, and the extra cost. So I would recommend if you want the simple strategy, just go preference points only. You can get the general tag. You'll be hunting elk or deer in Montana. If you want a little more complicated, go preference points and bonus points. Then every second or third time you draw in Montana, you can go for a more premium unit. Like even the breaks, I think, which is like a pretty famous area to hunt elk only requires like three to five points to draw. Like there's no crazy, crazy units in Montana. Most of the more premium units are definitely reachable. Like you could be doing a premium unit every four to five years for sure. Also though, a premium unit in Montana is not like a premium unit in New Mexico. And we'll get to New Mexico later on. It's fucking crazy in New Mexico. Montana just means maybe slightly elevated opportunity on game and a slightly decreased pressure, but not by orders of magnitude, more like fractional percentages. All right, let's jump all the way down to Utah. Utah is nothing like Montana or Wyoming. Utah manages strictly for quality, big, giant shit. Now, there are some over-the-counter opportunities. You can go and spike elk hunts in some of the more premium units. There are exceptions to every rule, but overall, they're managing for quality. Another interesting point about Utah, it, it is the only state in the United States that will let you hunt elk with a rifle in the peak rut. So if you're a purebred rifle dude and you want to hunt giant bulls with a rifle, Utah is definitely your state. That being said, it's probably going to take you 15 or 20 years or more to draw some of those tags. There is a, a, a lot of people have been applying for a lot of points in Utah for a long time. Something else unique about Utah is the first state we've talked about where you need to buy an actual license every year. I'll get into the cost later, but you cannot buy points or apply for a tag without owning a license. So there's kind of like this basic sunk cost as soon as you apply to Utah that you need to keep in mind. One quick note on that, if you time it perfectly, you can actually get through two application periods with one license because it lasts exactly one calendar year. But it's a bit risky because if they go to pull your tag and your license isn't active, you don't get to keep your tag. So I just renew my license every year, but I do know people who are pretty anal and are able to get away with just one license every other year. So your non-resident combo license is going to be $98 US and you need to buy that and be registered before you can buy points or apply for any limited entry permits. So the application deadline is March 5th and the draw results come out May 29th. So this is one that you don't have nearly as much flexibility because you're kind of locked up for almost two months waiting for the results but it's also a very hard to draw state. So most years you have such a low likelihood of drawing anything if you're going for anything close to a premium unit that it kind of doesn't matter. Again, three choices per draw, nothing really matters after the first one. Also, you can only draw one tag per year. So if you pull a limited entry elk tag, that's it, you're done. You cannot also pull a limited entry deer tag. As with the other states, we have a waiting period for all trophy species. 
As with Wyoming, there are no returns in Utah. So make sure you know what you're doing and make sure you're going to be available for the hunt no matter which unit you apply for. Now, the interesting thing about Utah, unlike the other states, is once you have your license, which costs 98 bucks, all the bonus points are only 10 bucks a piece. So this is the first state that we're going to talk about where I actually um, apply for all the bonus points for all the species, sheep, goat, everything. And the reason I do that is I'm already in for 98 bucks for the license. I'm already going to drop 20 bucks on deer and elk. So essentially I drop another 40 bucks and I can build a points for goat, desert, bighorn, sheep, Rocky mountain sheep, and pronghorn. Um, and who knows, maybe 20 years from now, I can go on a sheep hunt in, in Utah, but it only, even if it was 20 years, it only cost me an extra 200 bucks. So it's one of those, this is an example of where I think it's worth it over the long term because the cost is relatively low. Whereas, for example, if it was a $50 bonus point, like for trophy species, like most of the other states, you'd actually be five grand into investment by the end of 20 years, as opposed to 200 bucks. So obviously it, the risk reward is, is much more favorable in a state like Utah to apply for these trophy species. Utah is a long-term play for me. I don't plan to draw anything for the next 10 to 15 years. And I look at my license fee every year and my point um, fee every year as basically like a long-term investment. So, and if I amortize that investment over, let's say five species over the next 20 years, I'm probably going to have a relatively decent shot at hunting sheep, goat, deer, and elk in arguably one of the greatest trophy hunting opportunities in the world for somewhere in the neighborhood of a thousand bucks uh, per, per, per animal plus tag fees. That's insane to go on a guided, even a guided elk hunt in Montana is going to run you North of 12, 15 K us. So th this, the, the, it's such a, a vast difference in cost. Yeah. It's a pain in the ass. You got to do it every year. You got to be super patient, but really when you look at the other opportunities available to you, it's actually quite affordable. And I know that might sound crazy. My wife thinks it's crazy too, but like I said, it's, in relative terms, it actually makes a lot of sense. Okay, let's head west to Arizona, possibly my favorite state in all of the states. Um, I've hunted more in Arizona than any of the other states. Maybe Montana and Arizona I've hunted in equal number of times. Arizona is an interesting state because it's primarily managed for quality. They have the strip, famous for giant bulls and giant uh, deer. However, there are also a shitload of over-the-counter opportunities. I've, I've gone over-the-counter deer hunting twice in Arizona. I smoked a giant mule deer last year, 33-inch spread with my bow at 55 yards, an amazing public land over-the-counter tag hunt. Tag was 350 bucks. I walked into a Walmart and bought it. So it's a really cool opportunity in a place like Arizona because you can take your time and build points towards those like premium legendary units like the strip and the kaibab. And while you're waiting for that, you can go on these like really cool over-the-counter opportunities and still enjoy everything the state has to offer. This is one of the reasons why I go through all this trouble. I love going to places that are like so insanely different than where I'm from that it's just a head fuck. And I'm telling you, man, hunting deer with a bow 
in the desert mountains of Arizona is unlike anything you've ever done before. It's the coolest shit. Um, I can't even put it into words, but I, it, it, it's just an amazing experience. So I'm just as happy doing that on a $300 over-the-counter over the tag as I would be on the strip. Maybe that's slightly bullshit. I would probably be slightly happier on the strip, but it's completely acceptable to go to those over-the-counter units. One other interesting note about Arizona, there's actually a shitload of affordable guided hunts. So both deer hunts I've gone on down there have been guided. And the reason I do them is that they're kind of cheaper than going by myself. So the guy I go with is 3,500 bucks. He normally cuts me a couple bucks off as a deal. And he takes care of everything. I get picked up at the airport. I get taken to camp. I don't need to worry about food, shelter, uh, transportation, nothing. And so for 3,500 bucks for a week, for what it would cost me to get all the way to Arizona with all my shit, what I would pay for food and gas and water and all the rest, like I'm really only like a thousand or 1500 bucks more. And I don't have to deal with anything. I can work right up until the day I leave, hop on a plane, fly down, hunt deer for a week, get back on a plane, fly home. Don't got to worry about shit. So definitely look into that because some of these states have a lot of really affordable guiding opportunities. Some of them don't. Arizona is another state where you're going to have to buy a license every single year, whether or not you actually want to um, hunt. So if you want to build points, you still have to buy that license every single year. And it's another one where that's why I'm going to recommend you might as well build points for the harder to draw animals at the same time. It's another argument for why you might as well go do an over-the-counter hunt because you've already got this license in your pocket. Now you only need to spend 300 bucks on the tag. Now, as far as species cost, there's a bunch of different species in Arizona and the cost differs dramatically. So deer are in the neighborhood of, like I said, 300, 315 bucks. Elk, elk gets more up to like 650 bucks. And again, when you get into some of the crazy stuff, like it buys and tags like 3,500 bucks, sheep and goat are up in the thousands. Like it's pricey to pull the tags. It's not pricey to apply for the points in Arizona. There are three different draw deadlines in Arizona. There's one in the winter, one in the summer, and one in the fall. They're called differently, like the spring draw actually gets drawn in the fall. They're called the season that they're getting drawn for. Your elk, you're going to be in the in the winter. You want to apply in, it's like February. Deer, you apply for in June. You don't need to worry about the fall one unless if you're going to go do an over-the-counter deer hunt, I recommend you also get a javelina tag because fuck it, why not? You do have to apply to draw a javelina tag, but it's a gimme tag. That draw happens in the fall. It's like October sometime. So if you're going in January, which is the coos rut, you apply in October for a javelina tag. So that's the one to keep in mind. So as you're building out a strategy, just keep in mind, you're going to have to go to that state and look up these particular dates so you don't miss them. Also, this is another hybrid state. So 20% go to max point holders and the rest go out in a draw in a random pool. Now, one thing to keep in mind is that Arizona squares your bonus points for the random draw. You actually, there's two ways to get an elevated likelihood of a draw in Arizona. One, be in the max point pool. You have enough points that, that you just get a gimme tag. Two, if you have a lot of points, your name is gonna go into that pool a lot more. Here's how it works. Let's say I have two bonus points and I'm entering into the pool 
And my brother has 10 bonus points and he enters into the pool. My name goes into the hat four times. My two points get squared. 2.2 is four. So four J's go in the hat. My brother has 10 points. So 100 marks go into the pool. 10 times 10 is 100. So he has 100 entries in the bucket. I have four entries in the bucket. So this is how they still introduce a random likelihood of drawing. So everybody's still got a chance, but they favor people who have been applying for a longer period of time. So keep that in mind. Your odds are still elevated, even if you're not in the max point pool. All trophy species in Arizona for non-residents are once in a lifetime. So if you pull a sheep or a goat tag, that's it. You're done. Also, five hunt choices on the application, but really only your first two matter. You're never going to pull anything further down than the first two choices. So spend your time worrying about those two the most. Now, there is no returns of tags, but they do have point guard. So you could pull a tag, decide you don't want to go. They will not return you your tag fees. But if you've purchased point guard, which is like five bucks and it's insurance for your points, you will retain your points. A lot of people actually do this who have a shitload of points. Let's say you've got 25 points and you've been waiting to draw the strip. You finally draw the strip and it's been a super low moisture year. So antler growth is way down. Those guys will actually return the tags, eat the 350 buck tag fee, but retain their 25 points and they'll wait for a better moisture year to go hunt because it will have better antler growth on that particular year. As far as my specific strategy for Arizona, I've kind of already laid it out. The points that I'm applying for are being utilized towards a long-term strategy. I probably won't pull a limited entry tag in Arizona for the next 15 or 20 years, to be brutally honest, because I'm going to wait for something crazy, something like the Strip or Elk in Unit 1. Um, and for a non-resident, that's what it's going to take for me to draw that. However, because of the over-the-counter system, I can still go hunt Arizona as much as I want, and it doesn't interfere with my other bonus points. So that's my recommendation. And the final caveat I'll put on that is be open to guided opportunities in Arizona because there's a bunch of, of really affordable options. All right, we're nearing the end. Hang on to her for me, guys. So the last big state that we're going to get into as far as the complexity of the draw system is Nevada. Nevada is definitely managed for quality and there is no over-the-counter opportunities like there is in Nevada. In fact, they don't even have over-the-counter tags for residents. Every single tag that gets handed out in Nevada happens through a draw of some kind and it normally requires a shitload of points. However, for residents, there's definitely low point options, um, but for non-residents, pretty much the whole state is a fairly premium hunting opportunity. Also like Arizona, you have to buy the license. Also like Arizona, the bonus points are cheap. So it's 150 bucks for the license and it's 10 bucks a bonus point. So every year I buy all the bonus points for all the species and because I've already bought my license, so I might as well. Also, the tag fees are pretty affordable. Um, I mean, that's all, all relative, but it's not like the three grand for a sheep like it is in Montana or whatever it was I said. So a deer tag is 240 bucks. An elk tag is 1200 That's expensive, but the elk hunting opportunities in Nevada are insane. Antelope's 300 Desert bighorn sheep is 1200 and California bighorn sheep is 1200 Now, it's interesting. There's actually three species of goats in Nevada, but non-residents aren't allowed to hunt Rocky Mountain bighorn sheep. Uh, only residents are. And non-residents also are not allowed to hunt uh, Rocky Mountain goat. 
So the application deadline is May 4th and the draw results come out May 22nd. So this is another really nice state where you're only locked in for a couple of weeks. So you can really pay attention to where you're at with your other draws before you go into this one. And then you get drawn pretty quickly. So you'll have this information at your fingertips before you enter in any other states. Really interesting thing about Nevada. It is the only true bonus point only state. So it has bonus points and it squares those bonus points and there are no tags for max point holders. So it's all random draw, but the bonus points are squared. So your likelihood dramatically increases the more points you get, but you always have a chance. Again, you get five choices, but really it's only the first two that matter. So I highly recommend just take your time and really dial in those first two choices. Very interesting to note that there is a seven-year waiting period on elk. So if you pull a tag in Arizona for elk, you cannot pull another tag for another seven years. But there is no waiting period on deer. So you could pull deer tags fairly often if you're applying for units that present an attractive statistical likelihood of that occurring. Okay, so my strategy for Nevada, again, like these last couple states I've mentioned, it's a long-term play. Here's the difference though. When it comes to Arizona and Utah, because so many of the points go to max point holders, I don't even apply most years because it's literally like a 0.02% chance of drawing and it just complicates my strategy. So I just build points and don't worry about it. However, in Nevada, because it's a true lottery system, you want to apply every year. Because from a statistics perspective, the more often you apply, the more likely it is that you will get drawn. So I do apply in Nevada every year. Uh, and the, I normally apply for really hard to draw units because again, there's something like epic and legendary about some of the areas in Nevada. And like, I'd rather wait 10, 15, 20 years and go hunt some crazy thing than you know, luckily pull a tag in like a mid-tier unit after five years. Like it's, it's just, I would rather the epic opportunity, even if it takes a lot longer to draw. One final note on that, because there's no over-the-counter opportunities here, this is a state I would leave out of my strategy if I was looking to save money because the odds of being drawn are so low. I would also put Utah in that same category. The reason I don't with Arizona is because owning that license allows you the over-the-counter opportunities. So it's kind of like double dipping on your license. One, you get to build points and apply for premium units. Two, you can actually use it to go hunt every year. So quick note there, if you're looking for something a little more simpler, stay away from Nevada and Utah. I will get into my overall strategies in a moment. Okay, some quick honorable mentions here that I didn't get into and why. Colorado. Fuck it, man. It's too much pressure and it's too far of a drive from British Columbia. I'm sure there's lots of good hunts to be had there, but I only have a finite amount of time to look into all this stuff. So I just, I had to draw the line somewhere. So I just don't even consider Colorado. Idaho. Idaho doesn't have points. So you can apply to premium units, but it's, it's a random drawing. Um, they recently changed their system they used to be a pretty good option for over-the-counter tags, but they've redone their system where everyone had to log on December 1st of the previous year. And it was like a fucking gong show this year. Like everyone and their brother basically applied for tags and people were waiting on their computer for three or four hours 
and they kind of clean the whole place out. I had a tag in Idaho this year, and I'm going to say I was like really disappointed with, I didn't get the chance to go hunt it because of COVID. But once I actually dug into the unit, Idaho is an interesting place. It does present some true wilderness opportunities. However, you probably need like a, a raft or a float plane to get into those. The rest of the kind of more rugged areas are really accept, uh, accessible by trails and motorized access. So it looks like a bunch of wilderness, but then you realize there's roads and trails everywhere. So it's really hard to get away from people. So Idaho is another one that's, it's almost becoming the next Colorado. The pressure is getting so great. It's just not really high on my radar. That being said, there are over-the-counter opportunities. So if you're just looking to go to the States and hunt some elk, you can go buy a tag and go down there. There's elk tags available right now. Not really in any good units, but there are some available. Okay, finally, last honorable mention is New Mexico. Now, New Mexico is a lottery system only with no bonus points. So every year, everyone goes in fresh, one name in the hat. I pulled unit 36 two years ago. This is like a 0.3% chance it was my first year applying. There's 11 non-resident tags. Like, I don't know how many thousands of people apply for this thing. I fucking drew it. It was the craziest hunt of my life. You can watch this video on YouTube. Bulls bugling everywhere. Fucking mental. Smoked a bull with my bow solo at 10,000 feet in the White Mountain Wilderness on day five. Arguably the best hunting experience of my life. And that's what I was talking about earlier when I was like, there's just something different about pulling a tag through the public land, public draw system that feels different. I went into the backcountry for five days and did not see another living being. And it cost me 20 bucks to apply for that tag. Now, an elk tag to buy costs $1,300 in New Mexico, so it's still not cheap. But for me to go on a guided hunt with anywhere close, the opportunity and quality of animal that I was being exposed to would have easily been 10 to 15 grand US. Like it's incomparable. The only drawback is New Mexico was a really far drive from British Columbia. That's why I'm not applying there again this year. There's also really cool opportunities for like Oryx, Ibex, and Audad down in New Mexico that you can apply for. Um, so you can put it on your radar if you want, it's cheap to throw your name in the hat. If you get drawn, it's kind of expensive. Odds are super duper low in premium units. But if you do get drawn, it's going to be the hunt of a lifetime. I guarantee it. One other quick note I will give. I've also done hunting in Texas and Hawaii. Hawaii, it's a little bit more tricky. But Texas, there is a shitload of opportunity. They're kind of like over-the-counter tags. Now, the tricky part about Texas is... There's, it's like 1% of the state is public land. So if you're going to Texas, you are essentially paying for access to somebody's private land. It's a non-negotiable. Like you just, it's going to be part of the deal. However, the tags are super available and super cheap. So you can go hunt Audad for like three, four grand um, with access and the whole nine yards, which really isn't that bad. And it's a pretty cool hunt. So keep that in mind. It but as far as if we're focusing on like a point application strategy, there is no real points worth discussing in Texas and New Mexico for non-residents. Okay, the moment you've all been waiting for, the three main strategies. So strategy number one, okay, this is called the cheap and easy. 
It's going to cost you either a hundred bucks a year or 200 bucks a year when you don't draw. And it's going to cost you a thousand bucks a year when you do draw. You're going to buy bonus points for elk and deer in Wyoming and preference points for deer and elk in Montana. You're only going to worry about the general units in both states. And if you want to cut this in half, you could either apply for just elk in each state and double your hunting opportunities, or you could apply for both species in only one of the states um, and also still double your opportunities that way. Um, and that would knock your per year down. So 100 bucks a year if you stick to one state or one species, 200 bucks a year if you do both states for both species. And you could reliably hunt in the states probably every two years um, between elk and deer in Montana and Wyoming, maybe even a little bit more actually. So lots of great options, pretty cheap. Up next is a system I'm calling affordable and mildly complicated. So this one is a few hundred bucks a year when you don't draw and 13, 1400 bucks a year when you do draw. We're going to build points. We're going to take the Wyoming and Montana strategy. And now what we're going to add to it is Arizona. And if you want to get a little bit more complicated, you could either pick Utah or Nevada or just stick with Arizona. So you stick with Arizona. Now you're going to buy the license and you're going to buy those bonus points every year. So that's going to increase your yearly outlay by 200 bucks for the license and the points. However, it's also going to add in the opportunity to do over-the-counter mule deer or coos deer hunting every single deer year if you want to. So now we have a strategy that for a relatively low amount of money in, you know, comparing to other things that we spend money on in hunting, you are now hunting in the States every single year, every second year. So it would be something like this year, you're going to do elk in Wyoming. Next year, you're going to do coos deer in Arizona. Year after that, you're going to do mule deer in Montana. Year after that, you're going to do mule deer in Arizona. Year after that, you're going to do mule deer in Wyoming. Year after that, you're going to do coos deer in Arizona. And year after that, you're going to go back and do elk in Montana. And by the time that whole cycle is wrapped up, you're going back for elk to Wyoming the year after that. So you now have three states that you can play off of each other and hunt down south every single year. In addition to that, you are now building up points so that 15 to 20 years from now, you can go do like an epic once in a lifetime strip or a kaibab hunt for some crazy elk or deer or even a sheep or a goat. So that's our middle of the road strategy. Okay. And finally, we're going to close out with the expensive and complicated as fuck. Now, this one is going to cost you six to $800 every year, just in tags, licenses, and application fees. We're going to build points in Montana, Wyoming, Utah, Arizona, and Nevada. We're going to build points for deer and elk in Montana and Wyoming. Also, Utah, Nevada, Arizona. And then we're also going to build points for all the trophy species available. It's slightly different in each state. But let's just say the sheep and the goat species in Utah, Nevada, and Arizona. So now we have a system where we can we can reliably hunt every single year, like general units, we're going to hunt every second to third year. 
we're probably going to have a somewhat premium unit, like an elevated unit every fourth to fifth year. And every 10 to 15 years, we're going to get like some crazy, amazing hunting opportunity. And this is just going to cycle again and again and again. Um, so again, it's going to run you six to 800 bucks a year. And then the years that you draw, it's probably going to be an additional thousand, depending on what animal you draw. All right. Now that was a shitload of information. None of which I'm sure you have remembered. You could obviously listen to this podcast again. I know it seems crazy. If you want any additional help, if you want to talk about additional details, you are always welcome to hit me up. Jay at mindfulhunter.com, Instagram, mindful underscore hunter. I love this shit. I'm a super data nerd. So like digging through draw results and harvest statistics is like my happy place. Um, again, take your time with it. If you just want to get your feet wet, just start getting some points in Montana and Wyoming. Once you get more comfortable, start building points elsewhere. Um, I hope this was super valuable. I got a couple different topics on the radar for next week, but I haven't really hammered in exactly which one I'm going to do. I was really focusing all my energy on closing this one up first. So if you've got a particular topic, a guy named Nick just hit me up and asked me to do a series on, on bows specifically, like what kind of a system could he build for under 800 bucks? So I'm actually going to shortly here in the next month or two, do an entire archery series, like how to get into bow hunting, what kind of bows you could buy for what budgets, how to practice, what kind of accessories and gear you need, uh, what to look for in a bow shop, all that shit. And I'm doing that just because the guy asked and I really like digging into that kind of stuff. And I've been lucky enough to have some experience in that area. So if there's anything you guys want to know, if I can help out at all, please hit me up. Other than that, uh, thanks for the support. Thanks for listening. See you next episode.